scriptures, but before we do so, uh, let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for the gospel of your Son, and uh, we thank you that there is uh, not an issue or, or circumstance we encounter that we do not find um, adequate provision for in and through the provision of your Son. And so as we uh, come again to your word, may our uh, minds and our hearts be brought under submission to it. And may it bring uh, both challenge and comfort to us. May it both break and heal. And may our lives be changed by uh, this encounter with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in the midst of a series of, of messages in which we're considering this, this whole theme of anxiety. We're looking at uh, different expressions and different causes of anxiety, and we're also considering uh, how the person and message of Jesus brings help and hope and healing uh, to this whole area of life. As we said repeatedly, Jesus uh, has much to say about our mental well-being, and we believe that his gospel uh, is the very best solution to dealing with the anxieties and the worries, the troubles and concerns uh, that we face uh, and admittedly, this series has been a bit more uh, thematic and topical than our usual preaching here at Redeemer, uh, but it's also enabled us to address some subjects and themes that we rarely discuss in the church that, and that I think need to be discussed, that uh, are maybe even a little bit um, uncomfortable and awkward, that, that are not always easy to talk about. But listen, the world's not afraid to talk about them, and, and so I think we in the church need to talk about them as well, uh, especially in light of all of the resource that has been given to us in the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the important issue of appearance and body image. And let me give you some statistics to really show the scale of the problem that we're all facing as a society. And I say that we're all facing it. If you're in the hearing of my voice uh, this morning, you're currently surrounded by people for whom this issue is a real issue. Uh, whether that's anxieties that people are, are facing themselves or they're trying to support others around them that do. In a recent survey of adults, more than one-third said that they felt anxious or depressed because of concerns about their body image. One in five said that they felt shame because of their body image. And one in eight have experienced suicidal thoughts or feelings because of concerns about their body image. This is no small issue. And it's not just affecting a, a certain demographic either, but when we think about this topic, we may think about teenage girls and the, the, the pressures of social media, perhaps. And, that's, and that definitely is a massive issue. Research shows that 53% of 13-year-old American girls are unhappy with their body. And that number grows to nearly 80%, or four out of five by the time girls reach 17. By the way, is there a way that we can turn that off or unplug it? But again, this uh, isn't simply the, the domain of, of, of the young. Um, a, a recent survey found that a 45-year-old woman was just as likely to be dissatisfied with her appearance as a 19-year-old. In fact, approximately 80% of all U.S. women 
don't like how they look. And this isn't simply the domain of young girls and women either. It's reported that 34% of men are dissatisfied with their body. What's more, the number of boys admitted to hospital for eating disorders has doubled in the last 10 years, and it's rising at a faster rate than that of girls. So rich and poor, old and young, male and female, the way we think about our appearance and bodies is causing anxiety on a massive scale. And, and, and more and more people in society are talking about it, which is a really good thing. But are suggested solutions like the so-called body-positive movement really enough to address the scale of the problem? Well, before we get into that, I first want to ask the question, what does Jesus have to do with body image issues? Because maybe the, the connection won't be obvious to, to many of us. But let me just say a few things at the outset. First of all, something unique about Jesus compared to all other religions, is that he had and has a physical body. And so the, the God of the Bible is uniquely able to help us because he became human and knows what it's like to face society's expectations and pressures. Secondly, it's also worth pointing out that Jesus was not good-looking. I mean, despite the artistic presentations that we've seen over the centuries, the Bible actually specifically says that during his time on earth, his physical appearance was unattractive, or at least unnoteworthy. And we're going to read that passage from Isaiah 53 in just a moment. But thirdly, Jesus became a figure of shame and disgust when he was murdered, when he was nailed on, uh, to, the, to a cross. And many of the issues around this subject of body image are to do with the shame that we feel. And the passage that we're going to read now describes how Jesus actually experienced shame and rejection, but in a way that can bring healing and peace to us. And so let's look at that right now, Isaiah 53. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. Very familiar uh, verses to many of you, I'm sure. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. What this passage speaks of is, is how God has come to be with us. Uh, he's not a distant God who, who doesn't know what it's like to suffer or to struggle. No, he stepped into a world of pain and felt it himself. But not only did God become familiar with rejection and shame and sorrow, this passage also says that Christ's sufferings can actually bring healing and peace to us right here and right now. 
And so I want us to keep that in mind as we unpack this issue of body image and as we try to draw various threads together and see how the gospel speaks into this issue. And first of all, when we're talking about body image, what are we even talking about? Well, we're basically talking about how I think the world sees me or how I think I see myself. And on that definition, everybody has body image and everybody uh, has body uh, image issues to some extent. And, and I think there's a real danger that sometimes we'll, we'll label body image or body image issues as being quite trivial. Trivial, You know, it's about vanity, it's about wanting to look slightly better. But I reckon that actually body image is about a lot more than that. It's not just an issue of morality, it's a theological issue. It's, it's about our heart, not just about the way we look. So quite often, if someone is dealing with body image issues, there, there, there'll be bigger questions, bigger heart issues underneath. Things like, you know, how do I get rid of this sense of shame? What makes me me? What makes me special? These are, these are really deep issues, and they need real care, and they need a lot more than, than just, look, stop being so vain or you know, pull yourself together. And I believe the gospel uniquely speaks into these hard issues in a way that nothing or nobody else can. And so as a church, we should be the first place and not the last place to be talking about these issues. And maybe we should be asking why this issue seems to be such a problem in our day. Why is it striking people so deeply and causing such harm, really, in our society? I mean, body image has, has always been there. I mean, you, I mean, you think back to the ancient Greeks and Adonis, or you might think about, I don't know, the, the flapper girls in the 20s or Marilyn Monroe in the, in the 50s. It's always been there. But I suppose there are a couple of different answers to the question as to why the issue is so prevalent today. And of course, one of them would be that we're, we're a society that is really focused on the image. We're, we're a very visual society, and we see that in things like advertising and social media, which particularly preys on making us feel insecure about ourselves. So there's a whole economy that's based on making me feel insecure about who I am so that I will buy products that will make me somehow better. So, so that's, uh, there's that going on. There's also the proliferation of social media, which is obviously a, big, uh, a, a pretty big deal as well. I mean, you can now text, post, and tweet pictures of yourself 24-7. Uh, you can follow friends on Facebook and Instagram from morning until night and see how they look too. And, and it's not just your friends. There are a lot of celebrities to compare yourself to because TV and magazines and the internet are just jammed full of famous people who all fit into, you know, size two skinny jeans. And also, we have an ability to change our bodies in ways that we haven't had in the past. But I think a deeper reason for it is, is that we are increasingly becoming a society where God is being stripped away. You know, we, we feel like we've kind of moved on past God. And if you take God out of the equation, the God who gives us our identity, what then happens to that identity? Well, you've got to build it somewhere else. 
And so our body becomes sort of the, the ground where we build that. You know, if you think how much kids love building with Lego, you know, adding things on and taking things off. And that's exactly what we're doing with our bodies as well. But on the very deepest level, though, we have been created to reflect the image of God. That's who we are. So there's something in us that reflects, that is made to reflect. And if we don't reflect God, we're going to reflect something else. So ever since the fall, we're not reflecting God the way we were designed to. We're reflecting the world instead. And there are, there are lots of different kinds of created images that are coming at us from all sorts of directions that we're reflecting. And these, cha- these are changing all the time, and so our sense of identity is very weak. You know, it goes up and down with the trends. And so instead of our body image sort of flowing out of who we know we are, in a sense, we're, we're starting then without God, and we're starting to build our identity on our body and building our reality around that body image. And you know, it's a tower that's just going to completely topple down on all of us. And I think society is, 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 is feeling that. We're feeling the symptoms of that. We're constantly comparing ourselves to one another, wondering, you know, whether we look good enough. And along with the, the questions and, and, and doubts that come, there also come a lot of other things too, you know, diets and laxatives and, 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 and eating disorders, compulsive exercise, obsessive second-guessing about how you look and what you are wearing. We feel so much pressure. And so I guess what we've seen in society, particularly in the last few years, is a response. I guess what we would... Class is body positivity. In other words, seeing that there is all this pressure on people, seeing that people are struggling with these feelings and this sense of identity, struggling to know who they are and the pressure that they feel from society, a a response to that has been, well, let's just be positive about who we are and accepting and even loving of ourselves. Just love yourself. That's one of the messages we're told. And I guess there's some good in that. You know, we, we, we want people to be positive about themselves rather than negative, especially as Christians. We believe we're made in the image of God. So there's, there's tremendously positive things about that. But that approach to the problem that we're talking about... Where we're, where we're just saying, well, let's just be positive and just accept ourselves as we are and even love ourselves. How do we respond to that? How as Christians do we respond to it? How should we think about it, especially in light of the gospel? Well, a couple of things I think are worth mentioning. And First of all, our culture is very interesting because we've actually got kind of a schizophrenic view of the body. On the one hand, we're saying my body is all that I am. It's the most important thing about me. So if my body looks good, then I am good. I am worth something because I look a certain way. But on the other hand, at the same time, our culture is saying the very opposite. It's saying my body is disposable. It's not really the, you know, the real me. So therefore, I can sleep with whomever I want, or I can change myself all the time. What do I do with my body doesn't make a difference. But the gospel says something very different. 
The gospel has a holistic view of a person. So body, soul, and mind all interconnected. And that is absolutely vital. And so one of the limitations of the body positive movement is, is, is we're saying, look, your, your, your body is positive, which certainly gospel says in no uncertain terms, but we're essentially stopping there. And we're saying still, you're, you're just your body. This is still the only arena that you're working in. And the gospel says, no, everything is interconnected. So your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, your physical health, these are all together and they can't be split up in different ways. And that's really important for us to understand. So the body positivity movement doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go as far as the gospel does. In fact, the gospel has a really high view of the body. It, it, it has one of the highest views of the body anywhere. You know, um, traditionally throughout history, people have talked about either the body is the most important thing and the soul is kind of wishy-washy or the soul is really important. You know, this is the kind of pure self and the body is, you know, this disposable uh, shell. But in the gospel, our bodies are going to be redeemed too. They too will be remade. Because Christ was physically raised, we're going to be physically raised as well. And so what we do with our bodies really, really, really matters. But that's not all. The gospel also reminds us that our identity is given to us by the Lord who is outside of us. And again, that's very different from trying to create an identity that's all about my body that I try to make for myself. You know, I'm given an identity, whereas the body positivity is all about trying to put it together, you know, to make it in different ways, which means that every time, you know, that there's a different cultural trend, whether it's, it, it, it's for thinness or, or whether it's for fitness or whatever, I'm rocked by that, you know, by, by some trend. So body positivity, absolutely. The gospel is really body positive. But it's got to be grounded in something that's more than just a vague sense of, you know, I'm a lovely person. And I guess another thing to say as well is that with body positivity, there's this idea that we look within, we discover ourselves because the real me, the real Daryl is, is, is inside somewhere. And again, the, the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says, no, your identity is given to you from the Lord who is outside of you. And something very interesting happens to us when we start looking inside of ourselves. Because I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm like an onion and I peel all the layers and there's nothing there. Or worse, what I find is that that, that it is not a prince. No, it's a frog and a really ugly frog there. You know, it, it, it's a heart that is, that is beating with selfishness and all kinds of terrible and ugly things and I, that I don't want to bring out into public view. Now, if that's what I discover when I'm expecting to find my inner prince or princess, I'm in a whole world of trouble. And then, of course, I'm going to look to the exterior to try to patch up the interior. And so body positivity, I don't think, deals with that side of ourselves. What do you do with sin? What do you do with fallenness? What do you do with your mess? Who do you go to? Because if you're expecting something beautiful and you don't find it, then you're left feeling, well, look, there's something wrong with me. In... Um, 
preparing for this morning, I came across a a really powerful testimony of a woman who has dealt at times throughout her life with a serious eating disorder. And I think maybe a lot of people uh, imagine that eating disorders are all to do with simply wanting to be thinner and wanting to have uh, the perfect body and that sort of thing. But I found this woman's testimony really helpful, her insightful analysis of the issue of, of body image and not being just this simple linear thing that it's linked to dieting and, you know, how, and how you look, but actually it's a control thing that goes, to the, goes right into the heart of how you're uh, you know, looking to manage your life, who you're answerable to, all sorts of questions like that. And this woman talks about her experience upon reaching puberty, and, and as her body began to change, she, she also began to face many questions questions and, you know, challenges and pressures and experience that are not all that, not all that unusual for, uh, for that age. And she says this, and let me quote her at some length because I think it's worth it. What all this added up to was a little girl who was a sprawling, weeping mess. I felt like I was a horrible spill, like a horrible red wine-colored spill on white carpet, and I wanted to mop myself up. And the was me internally and externally as well. It was all of the different sorts of questions that I had. It wasn't looking in a mirror and thinking, I feel like I'm fat in the sense of I want to be in a smaller dress size, I want better skin, I want to look better. No, fat for me was the word for all of my mess. It was all of the existential questions that I had about who I was, what I was worth, what is death and life, what does it mean to be a woman? What gives me my identity? How can I make myself fit in this world? How can I clean myself up? And my body was just the reflection on the outside of what was happening inside. This mess, these questions that nobody could answer, where I couldn't find what it was that made me me. And telling myself that I was a lovely person didn't seem to make any difference because I didn't feel like I was. And so as my body started spilling out in puberty, I felt like inside I was too. And the word for that mess, it seemed to me, was fat. And if I could reduce that mess on the outside, then I can also take charge of all of the worries on the inside. So if I could make my body smaller, then that was a way of making life simple and reducing these 101 questions to just one question. And that question was, can I lose weight? Can I be thinner? And I could do that. I couldn't answer what it was that gave me worth. I couldn't answer these things about life, but I could control my body. And that is one of the lures, I I guess, of of body image. You know, in a world where everything seems to be so uncertain. You know, look at what's going on. You know, we're looking at, you know, all of this current election cycle and a nose-diving stock market and the threat of the coronavirus and all the rest. You know, 101 things that are out of our control. One thing I can control is my body. So... That can be the lure of eating disorders and exercise addictions and all manner of things. It's this thing that that gives us a sense of control and gives us a sense of identity and gives us a sense of self-worth. And the reality is that as Christians, we can fall into these faulty thought patterns too. We're not immune to it. Yeah, you know, we can understand the gospel but we can also feel like it is true for other people, but not really true for us. 
You know, grace is offered and other people can receive it, but I guess we can, we can have, at this, almost at the same time, we can have both too low a view of ourselves and too high. So in one sense, we feel, I don't need it. I can fix myself. I, I can be good enough for myself. And the other, and in the other sense, I feel too bad. I, I feel, well, this can't be for me with my heart and the way I am. And this, I guess, is, is the point where we need to settle the question for ourselves. Is this grace for me too? Is it true for me too? Are, are you who you say you are? Are you actually like the God I read about in, say, the book of Revelation? So what Jesus is described, you know, as, as both a lion and as a lamb. You know, the idea of, of a Lord who is a lion roaring and terrible and beautiful and in control. So I don't need to try and take charge of my life. This world is not out of control. It's not something that I need to try and dominate by myself. But equally, a, a Lord who's described as a lamb who's been slain. A lamb that dies. So a lamb that is disfigured and is crucified so that I don't need to crucify myself. I don't need to bear in my, my own body, my own sin, my own mess to redeem myself. He has done it for me. This lion willingly becomes a lamb who is broken, who, who understands what it, what, what it is to feel that you are nothing. To feel that, yeah you, yeah, you are exposed, and yet he stands with you. He's this lion that you can trust in this lamb who walks with you, who sees me as I am and offers himself, not a system of rules that I have to keep, not to try and pull, you know, pull up your own socks, because body image issues and eating disorders and exercise addictions and all of these different things are all about trying to pull up your own socks. We don't need to hear, you know, try and do a bit better. What we need to hear is you cannot do this yourself. I'll do it for you. And you don't know who you are, but I know who you are. And I will lead you in that. Walk with me. And that is the beginning of the road to gospel recovery. Not, not an instant one necessarily, but one that begins with the sense of, I am bought by Jesus, and my body is worth something, and I am worth something. I am redeemed. I'm redeemed by him. You know, Scripture often uses the picture of a, of a bride. It describes us that we're like a new bride. We are loved and cherished, loved by the Father, cherished by the Son. Wow, isn't that an amazing thing, amazing picture. But quite often, I think sometimes we want to tie things up a little too neatly in the Christian life. You know, one of the things that we're told about uh, I, 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 I told about is that a Christian in the Christian life there is a before and there's an after you know I am not a Christian and I have all of these kinds of insecurities and weaknesses and sins or whatever it is and then I met Jesus and boom those things were gone instantly overnight and the fact of the matter is that that is simply not always our experience with a lot of the issues that we struggle with in life. Mental health just as with physical health. You know, if I, if, I, if I injure my leg running, for instance, I may well walk with a limp for the rest of my life. If I have heart issues, insecurities that are there, problems with my mental health, 
When I meet Jesus, absolutely he changes me because I am that bride. But does that mean that everything is different overnight? Not necessarily. But I'm working it out. You know, I'm part of, of, of getting to know Jesus is that we're working it out here and now in this world. And so the analogy of a bride, I think, is, 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 is a quite helpful one because in some ways, it's like the fairy tales with a, with a happy ending. You know, I, I, I'm a pauper who becomes a princess, you know, and I meet Jesus and I marry this prince. And he says, you used to be this. You used to be this person who was, you know, covered in rags and dirty and filthy, but you've become mine. I give you my name. Everything that I have becomes yours and you're now clothed in me. But what will that princess feel like? You know, one day she's a pauper. The next day she's a princess. She is a princess. She is, you know, genuinely changed. But will she feel like that all the time? Well, no, because the mindset of the pauper lives on, doesn't it? And it's the same way with the Christian. So you could say, well, I mean, isn't it lovely, you know, I really, you know, I really, I got to meet Jesus. You know, now I wake up every morning, I look at myself in the mirror, I go, looking good, Jesus loves you, and, and I'm going to go out and, you know, I'm going to go out and take on the world. But that is not always my heart. So often my heart is still, it's a factory that wakes up and says, you're rubbish. It's a factory that needs to fight for my faith. It needs to be reminded that Jesus is Lord, reminded that Jesus loves me every single day. And although the shape of some of the battles that I face may change, the heart issues that underpin the, those, some of those heart issues, I think I'm going to be dealing with from now until the new creation. I mean, if you think about the whole Christian story, there's a cross, and then there's resurrection. There's darkness, and then at the end of it, that's what is when the light comes into the story. And in some sense, our life reflects that. There's, there's darkness, and there's suffering now. We are not yet the people that we're meant to be. Yes, Jesus is in us. Yes, he can work miracles. And we see that physically and we see that mentally. God can change people and sometimes he does. But that doesn't, he doesn't necessarily do it for everybody. And that needs to be part of our theology so that I then don't assume that if I'm still struggling with some issue as a Christian, whatever the issue may be, that I'm somehow outside the kingdom and Jesus somehow hasn't done his job. That is not the case. You know, you read in Scripture that all of creation is right now groaning until Jesus returns. And our bodies are groaning with it. And our minds, broken as they are, are groaning alongside it too. And we need to ask, well, right, then what does that look like? How, you, know, you know, as you go through different stages through the, throughout the day, as you try and step out in your faith, how do you put on Jesus? How do you live out this new identity? How do you remind yourself every day of who you are? How do you keep going to the cross? Not just at the point when you were converted, when you, you, know, you turn to Jesus, but every day. Because that's a secret, isn't it? You go back to Jesus every single day. Because I need Jesus as much this morning and today and right now as I 
did when I first came to him. I need him just as much. And his grace is as much for me now as it was yesterday and the day before or after. And that's great news because every day I've got a faulty self-image and I've got faulty ways of thinking and, you know, I'm broken and I'm messed up and all of these things. But every day the cross is there for me. Jesus is there for me. But I need to fight for it. And we need to, you know, we've got to fight for it. I mean, we do not naturally wake up drifting in a happy sense of, you know, oh, I, 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 I know who I am in Jesus. That's why we come to church in this way. That's why we come along here. That's why we come under the Word. That's why we have fellowship. Because it's not a natural thing. At least not for me. And so the question is, what are you going to do with the dissatisfaction that you experience in your life? For many of us, this dissatisfaction is to do with the way that we look or how we feel about ourselves. But that's just one symptom of a, a deeper problem that we all share. All of us are aware of our weakness, our lack, our inadequacy, and we wish we were better than we are. Our hearts seem to long for something more. We want to improve. We long to have our problems sorted out. And that is not a wrong or bad desire. The Bible says that we were made for eternal things because we're made by an eternal God. Our hearts long for improvement, even perfection, because we were made for a perfect relationship with a perfect God. Brokenness and lack is not what God originally intended for us. But this dissatisfaction is part of the human condition that we experience because through sin, we have become disconnected from God. The God who is meant to give us our meaning and our security and our identity. So God is not asking you to suppress your desire for wholeness and for peace and for healing. But crucially, He's inviting you to look to Him to, to find that rather than to look to yourself. The, 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 the woman that I quoted earlier said that what drove her um, into anorexia was her desire to, quote, mop herself up. In other words, she tried to deal with her mess herself. And it almost cost her her life. And so many in this world are endlessly striving to overcome the lack and brokenness and imperfection in their own efforts. And sooner or later they realize they can never be good enough. That the dissatisfaction is always there. And the solution that the gospel provides us is found in Jesus' death on the cross where through faith He takes our sin, He takes our brokenness, He takes our shame and gives us a new identity as children of God. It's not just tell yourself you're great no matter what you look like or, or how you feel. And, and it's not about you know, suppressing those desires for more either. Whether you're not yet a Christian or you've been one for decades, no, the solution is the same. It's a relationship with Jesus, a, a daily dependence on Jesus and His work on the cross, a daily walk of faith that exchanges your inadequacy and weakness, your lack, 
for the new identity of a, as a child of God. He takes our, all of our wrongs. He takes all of our sin. He takes all of our shame and our brokenness. That's what the cross is all about. It, the, the scripture with which we open, it's exactly what it says. He was pierced. Why? For your transgressions. He was crushed. Why? For your iniquities. He died in your place for your sin and exchanges your mess for his perfection and your isolation for his life-shaping relationship with God the Father. And through faith in him, what Jesus has always known and what your heart really longs for, you can have to be loved and accepted just as you are. Listen, each one of us has to look in the mirror each day and come to terms with what we see. But if you're a Christian, let me tell you what you see. You see someone whom God the Father absolutely loves and accepts, despite all your faults and failings. Fully known and fully loved. You see someone whom Jesus cherished enough to die for, to take your sin and to take your shame so that you can be forgiven and freed from that endless cycle of striving. And when you look in the mirror, you see someone who has the Holy Spirit inside them. God himself has come to be with you, to help you, to affirm you in your new identity in Christ. And remind you of everything that is true about God and what he says about you. And so he invites us to, to stand confidently in who we are in Christ. And it's only then that the striving ceases. And we truly find healing and peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, through your Son, through the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have given us a new identity. We live in a world and we experience the, the culture and the pressures of our day to define our own identities, to, to, to declare our own value and worth. And yet at the end of it, we know it's never enough. It always disappoints. There's always a, a need to hide who we truly are. And this glorious gospel then comes to us and it declares a God who knows us exactly as we are, knows us to the depth of our being. We're completely exposed before. We're, we're, we're naked before. And yet we can live in this place of being naked and yet not ashamed. We pray that even as we come to this table now, you would impress that truth upon us to the extent of your love for us. But this is a table that we are invited to, not because of, of, of the, the worth, and the value, uh, the merit, if you will, of our lives. There's none of us that come to this table this morning having merited your pleasure, merited your love, merited your favor. We come as, as those who have been taken and once were paupers and we've been made princes and princesses, princes and princesses, we've been made children of the living God. 
And we want to be reminded, we desperately need to be reminded of that truth. We need to be reminded that our identity is locked and secured in the Lord Jesus Christ and that all of the things that we strive for, all of the things that, uh, that we try to put on to impress the world doesn't impress you. But because we are in Christ, we are the beloved of God. Confirm and affirm that in our lives this morning as we come in celebration around this table. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.